Happy Sabbath. I am so delighted to be here. I still remember the first time that I came when Ramiro invited us to spend Thanksgiving with him and uh, Tia Marta and uh, Randy and uh, Samantha. It has been such a joy to come back again afterwards. Ramiro got married now. I got married now. The Lord is good. Amen. Oh, this is a, this is a delight. Brittany, I got to know also when we came for a pack time mission trip last minute, I said, Ramiro, our students got to go somewhere. What do you think? And he's like, well, when do you want to come? Thinking it would be weeks ahead. I was like, how about tomorrow? <laughs> and so two days later, there we were, and we, we worked here. We, we enjoy Oregon. In fact, my, my in-laws actually had lived in Oregon for quite some time, and then they moved back to California. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Erwin Nanashi. I serve as Minister of Music at Weimar Institute. I work with the New Start Lifestyle Program, and uh, we have patients coming from all over the world about 10 times a year, and we work with them. I also work with the Depression Recovery Program with Dr. Nedley, and we help people get over anxiety and over depression and, uh, and other mental diseases and uh, dysfunctions and cognitive distortions. I also work with the students and uh, that was part of why I had come back in the past. And uh, Samantha and Brittany thought, hey, why don't we invite Erwin to come and speak? And so, of course, I will uh, make some application to them, but it's church time, and you are here to be filled with the Holy Spirit and hear a word from the Lord. Amen? And uh, so I'm, I'm delighted that uh, we can share this time together, and I pray that you will be blessed. But in order for us to be blessed, I think it would be good to add an additional word of prayer to invite the Lord's presence. I will kneel, and uh, you may be seated. Uh, the Holy Spirit was able to fall on the uh, acts of the, you know, on the apostles while they were seated. So it will be perfectly fine. But I pray that you will bow your heads and uh, ask for the Lord's blessing with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we have been worshiping this morning. You have woken us up. It is cause for us to worship you to acknowledge your greatness. Your word says that let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The fact that we're breathing causes us to worship. We've looked at different things in Sabbath school, and we have sang different songs. We have prayed. We were able to give to you what, a portion, at least, what you have given to us. And now at this time, where your word is to be proclaimed, I pray that you will hide me behind the cross. That your, world will, that your word will shine forth, that you will speak clearly, and that you will feed us. As you have said, give us this day our daily bread. And so we pray that you give us fresh bread today, so that we will be filled. And that all glory will go to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you feel like I'm speaking too fast, or you can't understand me, just raise your hand gently. Then I have some feedback from you personal feedback, and then I'll slow down. Is that okay? Otherwise, I'll, I'll keep going. I don't like repeats very much, and so uh, we'll, uh, we'll get going quite rapidly. I want to start with a story by a gentleman that you may be acquainted with. His name was Ignaz Semmelweis. He was a physician, a doctor from Europe, in Austria to be exact, in the Vienna General Hospital. And in this particular hospital, he was in charge of the department where women would give birth. And uh, the mortality rate was 1 in 10. Uh, it's quite, quite, quite high. And um, he, uh, 
He did not know why that was the case. In fact, women were so scared to give birth in his hospital, they would rather give birth in front of the hospital and then go and see the doctor afterwards. That's pretty bad, right? Uh, 1800s. And um, the symptoms that were clear were that there was child fever, uh, child bed fever, that's how they called it. And they, you know, saw the different, different symptoms and inflammations and, you know, people would bleed to death and they would try to figure out what it really was. Some people had trouble breathing, so they thought the air was bad and so they improved ventilation. And uh, patients would just be moved, you know, in different sections. And they noticed that when they were moved in different sections of the hospital, that some actually would do better and the mortality would decrease, one in 50 and uh, he just became obsessed with this problem. He said, how can this be that I'm not doing so well in this hospital? And I'm in charge of this entire hospital, and people are dying, although they should be giving birth and should be healthy. There's a problem. So he takes uh, an administrative leave for just four months. He said, I'm going to go different part, do some more studies, and, and leave. But during those four months, guess what happens? He's leaving for four months, and the mortality rate decreases again. So he comes back and says, maybe I am the problem. And so he's looking at everything and sees what really made the significant difference. He's noticing that the other hospitals had primarily uh, nurses and uh, physicians' assistants, and uh, they would have midwives, but not physicians working with the patients. He said, okay, that's a significant difference. He even looked at how they did the laundry, looked at what they were giving them to eat, you know, if they were exercising, all the different things. He just looked at everything. But then one thing came up that he observed. And, uh, you know, mind I say that back then, you know, they didn't have this great understanding of germs, you know, childbed fever was kind of the precursor to the germ theory. But uh, what he realized was the following, that in his hospital, most of the physicians were also employed by the university. And so part-time, they would do research. And part-time, they would work with patients. Now, part of their research was that they would work on cadavers. So they would work with the cadavers, and then the other part of the time, they would work with the patients. Now, most of you are like, oh. And so he thought... Okay, here we are. This is a research institution, and we do kind of both. How about we start washing our hands after we have worked on the cadavers, and then we work with patients? Don't just wash the hands, you know, with soap. They used all kinds of, you know, chemicals to get rid of everything that had to be gotten rid of. And you know what? Within weeks, the mortality rate, one in a hundred, and then it changed everything. Samuel Weiss later says, only God knows the number of patients who went prematurely to their graves because of me. Now imagine living with that. (laughs) But that's what it was. You know, he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was helping them. And yet it was he himself that was causing some of these diseases with the patients. Some of us today are in a similar boat. We think, we may think, that uh, we do the right thing. We may think that we're in the right spot. Everything is, everything is going for us. While yet the Bible tells us, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that we should keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of what? The issues of life. Now, I'm sure I don't have to just talk to the graduates, you know. They have issues in life too. The statistics shows us that Depression and anxiety starts much earlier than we think. 
There are issues in life. I understand. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20 verse 9, Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Who can say that? Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, you know that one. The heart is deceitful above how many things? So while we may look at Hitler, we may look at Napoleon, we may look at all these leaders and say, man, these are evil people. The Bible says that your heart and my heart is deceitful above how much? All things. And then it includes this phrase by saying, and desperately wicked, who can know it? You can't even know it. I was glad, you know, Randy had just handed me a book right here. And I encourage you to read that one because some of the ideas I'll be sharing actually come from this, uh, from this very book. German author Helmut Haubeil. It's called Steps to Personal Revival. It basically is a, a uh, kind of interpretation and uh, easy read in regards to steps, to steps to Christ and Steps to Personal Revival. But I'm going to highlight a few, a few thoughts from that from that book, but really from the Bible. The question I want to ask you this morning, you know, Brittany and Samantha, but really everybody, the question is, who are you really? Who are you really? That's, that, that's a very, very, very brief question. And I'm going to give you the verses. You know, when I read about the apostles, often only one person had the scripture with them. Now, all of us have Bibles. But they would just, you know, they would preach, and then like the Bereans, they would go back and they would study if it was really so. And so we're going through it so that we don't end too, too, too late today. I know at Weimar, our services go until 1 o'clock. I won't do that to you today. Don't worry. But it seems that there are three different, three different types that are mentioned in Scripture. The first one is the natural man. The natural man you can read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man is the person that is really not inclined to any spiritual things. Okay, The natural man is out there. That is the atheist, it's the agnostic, it's the person that doesn't really have a relationship with God, doesn't read the Bible, doesn't come to church, wouldn't be interested in any of these things. But then there's two other categories that we see, and one of them is the spiritual man. And you read about that too in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, just the following verse, where it says the spiritual person judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For he who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may be instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The person that is spiritual is really, is really connected with God. Have you ever met a person that is connected with God? You're like, wow. A missionary coming back from the field and saying, man, we've seen mighty works of God. Or somebody sharing from their devotions and you're like, wow, I wish I would have, I would have had such, such a powerful devotion this morning. That's the, the, the spiritual person. And you know, the good news is we don't, uh, we don't have to have parents that have been spiritual, and then grandparents that have been spiritual, and then, you know, great-grandparents that have been spiritual to be a spiritual person. The Lord is able to come into my heart and into your heart today. Isn't that powerful? That's the good news, and that's the, that's the good news of this message. The good news is that I'm presenting to you these categories, and you will be able to diagnose, like a doctor, which category you are in. But the good news is that if you're in a category that you don't really like to be in, you can have instant change. That's good news. It also means that if you find yourself in the right category, that you have to be connected with the Lord. Otherwise, you may change in categories too. But it's good news. So we have the first one. It's the natural man. The natural man that is not really inclined to any of those things. Then you have the spiritual man who is really connected with God. But now here's the third category. 
And the third category is a scary one. Third category is the carnal man. The carnal man. You read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. When Paul says, Brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where were there envy, strive, and divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving like more men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? In another instance, in Romans, he says that the carnal man is really an enmity with God. It's not the natural man. It's not the person that is way out there, you know. The person that is not wearing the right clothes, not eating the right food, not worshiping on the right day. You know what I'm saying? It's not that one. It's not the natural man. It's the carnal man. The one that actually looks like, hey, it looks like a spiritual person. They're singing the right songs. They're eating the right food. They're, you know... They're doing mighty things. They're going on outreach, all right? That's a question. What kind of person are you? Let me give you another example. Turn with me to chapter 4 of uh, the gospel according to John. Jesus having an interaction here with the, with the woman at the well. Chapter 4. And they get into this discussion. We're not going to focus on that discussion as much as... We, however, look at this passage, we're going to focus on this interaction that Jesus has with her at the end. Jesus says to her in verse 21, we are in John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me that the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And so he comes with categories too. He says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So he's saying, there's one group, you don't even know who you worship. It's an ignorant group. But then he says, there's another group, we know whom we worship because salvation is of the Jews. It's an intelligent group. As perhaps even the Adventist group, you know. We know whom we worship, we know the Bible. But the Lord then continues saying, it's not the ignorant group, the ones that don't know. It's not the ones that know. Because obviously, he says, the true worshiper, the true worshiper, he will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's what is powerful. You know? So the question is, what kind of worshiper are you? Natural? Are you the natural man or woman? Are you the natural person are you ignorant or are you are you spiritual or are you carnal you may be intelligent but you're still carnal you can be conservative and still carnal you can be a vegan and act like an animal Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Absolutely nothing. And do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I could wish you were hot or cold. This is powerful. I'm going to read this uh, short quotation. When I first read it, this was, this, was, this was heavy. Listen to this one. Half-hearted Christians are worse than infidels. 
for their deceptive words and non-committal position lead many astray. The infidel shows his colors. The lukewarm Christian deceives both parties. He is neither a good worldling nor a good Christian. Satan uses him to do a work that no one else can do. And yet here we are, here we find ourselves, you know, so, so many times. And so then we come to church and we think that, hey, we just need, we just need Jesus. And that is true. But the way that we proclaim it is more like, hey, you need Jesus. He will cover you. He will cover you. Can I give somebody my coat just for this illustration? He will cover you. And then you are covered. And then you go and wow, everybody's going to see just the, the outward covering. Isn't that what we do many times? That's what we do. Just accept Christ and then they come forward and people just, you know, they accept Him and, and that's kind of it. I want to submit to you that that may not be all. That may not be all of the experience. I want to show you something in a different illustration. You know, since I met my wife, my wife has told me that I have to preach more like Jesus. And Jesus used a lot of illustrations. So we're going to have illustrations, all right? And if you like them, you can thank my wife, not me. Because uh, I would not use as many. It's like this. You know? It's like this. Often we use it like a footnote. We say, yeah, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But the focus is not really that you're saved by grace. The focus is that you're a sinner. You know, we do something wrong and then we just, well, it's just because I'm a sinner. Sorry. (laughs) You know, what can you expect? That's not how the Lord wanted that verse to come out. He wanted us to be saved by grace, all right? Yes, we have come from far, you know, far away. Or some of us may have been like the lost coin in the house. Nevertheless, we are in need of this Savior. But this is what it is, you know. Born in sin, we're separated from God. And the closer people look, you know, they can't really see you in there because sin is just so big and so large. Can you believe that this person did such and such? Have you heard what such and such? You get what I'm saying? Maybe this church doesn't do that. (laughs) Here's you, you know. You really want to have another box, you know. You, You want Christ to cover you, right? People see you and they're like, I don't really want them to see me. I want to, I want to have them see Christ. I want them to see Christ, all right? Forget this box. No more sin. I want to be in Christ. Huge box. Christ, amazing Savior, whole, you know, sealed with the Holy Spirit, of course. And here you are. And so when people see you, they see Christ. But then there's, you know, the brother and there's the sister. And they come and they look at it and they still see you. And some of them are... You know, getting really close to you, and maybe you have a spouse, and maybe you have children, maybe you have neighbors, and they actually see you day to day. And the closer they come, they still see that, hey, there's you, but inside of you, there's a heart of stone. There's a heart of stone. But often we, we just say, hey, Christ, just cover me. Just cover me. But Christ is so powerful, He doesn't just want to cover us, He also wants to live within us. Amen? Amen. Isn't that what He wants? He wants to take that heart of stone, He wants to take it out. He wants to take it out, and he, the all-powerful God, the almighty God of the universe, wants to live within your heart. He says, I will take that heart. You can't even give it. I have to take it. He will take it, and he will give you a new heart. Come on, somebody say amen to this. Amen. So here it is. And so when people come close to you, now they see you, but they come close, and they're like, uh-uh, that's not you. That's Christ within you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. 
That's what it is. And so they come close to you and they're this is what it is. And I know that from my wife because I love my wife. She's very attractive. I love her greatly. She's very sweet and very kind. But I tell you what, when she's connected with Christ, oh, that's what I'm interested in. And you know what? I can tell you that that's what she's interested in me. Because if she knows me, you know, old heart, covered with sin, that's not really what she wants. It's not the happiness of the home. This is the happiness of the home. Where you are hidden Christ. You're hidden Christ. And you know the good news is this. When you are hid with Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, you cannot just be hid with Christ because Christ is hid in God, is what it says. Come on now. Look at this. Look at this. You are hid in Christ, in God. Can anything separate you? Can anything separate you? When people see it, the width, the length, the height, the breadth, whatever it is, it's God. They come close to you, they see Christ. You don't have to worry because they see Christ. Christ within you, the hope of glory. Christ without, the covering of his righteousness. That's what we need, church. That's what we need. And then you can say like, Paul, hey, I'm saved by grace through faith. And then the footnote is, hey, I was a sinner. But now Christ lives within me. Nothing you do. Nothing I, everything that he does, amen. Powerful. I didn't know that we were going to look at Matthew chapter 25 in our Sabbath school, but we're going to go there again. Matthew chapter 25. Repetition. Hello. Repetition. It deepens impression. And some of you actually missed it. So this is going to be good. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 13. Now, just by glancing over it, you see the parable of the virgins. Right? Ten of them. There's so many things in common. All of them were virgins. All had pure biblical beliefs. All had lamps. All of them went to meet the bridegroom. All of them looked forward to the second coming, you know. All of them went to sleep. All of them heard the call. All of them woke up. All prepared their lamps. All of the lambs were burning. But half of them noticed that their lambs are going out. You know, burning lambs, they need oil. After some time, they noticed that their energy was used. They were missing something very specific. They were missing something that I hope that none of us are missing. Everything seemed so clear. You know, it seemed like this was the, this was the spiritual group, all right? This is not the people that didn't come to the wedding. This is not, these are not the people that weren't invited. These are people that were actually there. And then even within the group, they were supposed to make it. Within this group, there's some that weren't ready. Okay, let me ask a question. How many of you have ever ordered pizza before? Anyone ever ordered pizza before? Okay. Yeah, we have ordered pizza too. I remember when I was in high school, we took this one test and one of our guys wanted to order pizza and deliver it in the classroom. And the guy didn't find our classroom. 
And so after some time, she, you know, he finally, he finally came to the class. It was very funny. Our professor didn't think it was very funny. But it was, uh, yeah, our teacher was like, okay. But then we gave him a piece of pizza, and he was quite excited. Later on, you know, even at Weimar, sometimes people would order pizza, and then they wouldn't have the, the code for the gate. They would be outside, and we'd have to walk there to get it. And uh, Ordering pizza. Most of you have done it. And let me ask you another question. How many of you are very particular about what should be on a pizza and what shouldn't be on a pizza? Okay, some of you. <clears throat> Imagine that you're calling the dude because you want some pizza, okay? Okay, it can be vegan pizza with vegan cheese and, you know, lots of vegetables. It's okay. It's a pizza nonetheless, okay? So the dude comes. He rings at the, at the doorbell, and then the door opens, and you're there, and the guy has the pizza in his hand. And here it is, and, you know, cheese is kind of like falling down on one side, and it's, he has a hard time just holding it. Now, how many of you would say, well, yeah, sure, just give me the pizza? How many of you would be like, isn't there something missing? What's missing? The box. Wow. Hey, I just so happened to have a box with me. Pizza box right here. All right. Here's the pizza box. Question for you. How much worth is this pizza box? What would you say? 50 cents. Remember, it says 50 cents. Yeah, maybe, you know, a little more, maybe a little less. I actually got it for free. But maybe the value, the value for this pizza box, let's say it's 50, let's say it's a dollar. Come on, let's say it's a dollar, it was manufactured in Europe, they had to ship it and everything. It's, a, it's an amazing pizza box, all right. Also the size, and you know, it's just, it's a good pizza box. But what gives value to this pizza box? i just give you this pizza box. 50 cents is what you said? I mean, I've not seen many people that collect, you know, pizza boxes, have you? People don't do that. Excuse me, can you give me just a little, an extra pizza box? I'm collecting them. I've, I've not seen that. I have seen people asking for a bit more pizza. Uh, one more slice of pizza, you know, please. And here we are, and most of us are just focusing on the pizza box. You get what I'm saying? Let's just make sure we have a large pizza. And, you know, pizza boxes may come in different sizes. That's cool. But the truth is that if a person would come and they would show you just the pizza, you would say, uh, where is the box? Otherwise, I mean, did you wash your hands? Is this, uh, where, where were you? Who are you? Please, uh, you know, I'll order from somebody else. In our lives, we are like this pizza box. We're like, we're like a vessel. We're like a vessel. But people are really interested in seeing the pizza. I'm really interested in good pizza. Have you ever eaten good pizza before? It was like, mm, again. You know, Christ. This is just an illustration, okay? But the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's indeed good. And my, my humble appeal to you is that the value that you will have as this box is only as valuable as what is in the box. In the box. In the box. You get what I'm saying? Don't miss out on that. Just like the, you know, we don't have burning lambs anymore with virgins. Otherwise, I would have brought that illustration. But Jesus already made it. And often we just preach about the illustration. People are like, okay, cool. 
This illustration for you now. You have to have a filling of this pizza box. You are the pizza box. And God wants to live within you. And that's very powerful. It's very, very powerful. He wants to fill it. And you know what? He'll do it perfectly with exactly your taste that you will have. Or he will change your taste to what it should be. But he wants to live within you. And he wants to give this, this box, not just, you know, 50 cent value. He wants to have, I mean, there's pizza for 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks. You know, it depends on how many extras. The Lord is coming with all the extras for you. Don't worry. Pizza box. The pizza gives the value to the box. Lord, fill my box. And fill it every day. You know, that's how it is with food. You know, Ramir and I, we like to feast. But when we feast for a day, I can't eat for tomorrow. I have to eat again today. Amen? Some of us like, well, I ate that really good pizza, you know, like way back. The Lord wants to live with you today. He wants to give you powerful experiences every single day. He wants to live within you. He wants to cover you. He wants to show you so many great things in life. And he wants the same for all of us. You know, sometimes we look at graduates. Oh, man, when we were young in high school. Hmm. We're youngsters compared to the heavenly beings, all right. We're still very young. Look at Abraham. God has plans for us. But back to the story of the, of the virgins, chapter 25. You know, it's interesting that some of them were not ready. They were not prepared. Their, their lamps were not filled with oil. And so they come and they knock at the door and say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answers and tells them, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you. You know, back in the day, the young people were the... You know, the ambassadors, they were the light bearers so that people would know the way to the wedding. That's your role. That's my role. We are supposed to point other people to Christ. And I'm going to talk about that tomorrow again. I have more illustrations, don't worry. We're not running out. We have to watch because we don't know when it's coming. We really don't know. But who are you? That's the question. Are you, are you a natural person? You're just following it because, you know, everybody's here. Your parents are here and they're really excited. Or are you really, you know, like, oh, God, don't really need it. Church, don't really need it. Bible, don't really need it. Or are you like the spiritual person that is really into it, has a personal relationship? And I'm telling this, you know, to my students all the time. I will tell you also. You know, Romero and I are good friends. And we talk about things that you may not talk about because I went to school with him. I've known him for some years in different settings too. I you know, was in classes with him. I mean, funny things. I, I met him when he wasn't married yet. You know, my wife and I, we have quite a relationship. Well, most, of, most of you know that because we're married. There's some things we talk about that nobody else would know. It's just what it is. But how about you and Jesus? Is your relationship only what you, know, what you have heard from other people say? You just say, okay, well, they said that you know, Jesus is kind and he's very gentle and he's very loving. But you haven't actually experienced that with him because you don't spend one-on-one time with him. What is it that you can say about Christ that I may not know because you know him in a way that I can't? This is the Lord God Almighty that has a personal relationship with you. 
with you. And that's, that's, that's powerful. The same for us also. Well, for parents, grandparents, siblings, you know, church members, the saints. Do we know the Lord, really? Are we that spiritual person or are we the natural man or the carnal man? Profession of godliness, but then Christ doesn't really live within my heart, the hope of glory. He's not really filling my box. I just have a really nice clean box that looks like there's some pizza in it, but there's not. Have you ever been in a situation where there's a party and then, or some gathering, a fellowship, and there's pizza, and then you open the box and the, the box is empty, there's no more pizza? Have you ever been in that situation? You wanted some more, but the, friends, that wouldn't happen with the Lord. You know, he will make sure. Twelve baskets. Twelve baskets. Come on. Okay. Just to put it into perspective. Okay, there's a lot of rope right here. A lot of rope, right? There's a lot. You were born, went to school. Oh, yeah, you're graduating from high school. Yay. You may continue school. Or you may say, oh, no, no more school. That's it. You may have a family. You may have kids of your own. You may do some traveling. You build a house, have a nice home, husband, children. Huh? You get older, you want to see where am I retiring. And, and we focus so much on this. Well, there's rope. I mean, miles of rope of eternity. This right here. This, maybe, maybe this. You eat vegan diet, okay, let's, uh, another 10 years, sure. And you exercise, of course, sorry, want to make sure. And you obey your parents, fifth commandment, that, you know, elongates your life too, by the way. Let's not forget that. Many people miss that out, but it's, it's part of it. You honor your father and your mother, it's part of it. Okay. And we focus so much on this. So much on this. But you know what? This right here determines whether or not this right there is going to be the end. You know? Whether or not that's actually going to continue for eternity. What are you going to focus on? And I will tell you, if you start focusing on this, people may laugh at you. No, please. You have to make sure. You have to make sure you make a lot of money. You have to make sure you're popular. You have to make sure. People have to love you. Can you come on this party? It's on Saturday. I really want you to come. Could you just... Okay, it's not completely the truth. Could you just, I mean, could you just help me out here for a second? Yeah, but I would be lying. Yeah, but please, I mean, it's just, just one time. You get what I'm saying? There's all of this eternity. I'm so happy to see you graduate. But if I'm missing out on telling you the value of this, 
compared to this, and I'm going to give you this. You can do whatever you want with it. This is my reminder for you too. And uh, for all others that are interested in this illustration, I have a scissor, and there's a lot of rope for all of us. If you want to... No, no, this is the illustration. It's good for everybody, don't worry. I don't think that somebody can cut into our eternity. It's so long. But I will leave this right here. I'll leave this right here. Right here. You get what I'm saying, friends? What are we focusing on? What are we really focusing on? The Lord has mansions prepared for us in heaven. Hello. You think of princes. You think of kings and queens that have, you know, mighty palaces. Do you think that they will be in heaven and say, Well, Lord, when I lived on the earth, I had a much more fabulous mansion. (laughs) Do you think that will happen? I doubt it. I doubt it. It'll be marvelous. We wish we would have... So, who are you really, is the question. And it's good news. If you find yourself being the carnal person, you know, the Lord may want you to. And He can help you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Last story for you. The gentleman's name was Alfred Noble. Alfred Noble. And um, somehow, the journalist messed up. Alfred Noble's brother had died, but the journalist was writing about Alfred Noble. And so he writes his obituary. Now, for those of you that are not acquainted with Alfred Noble, Alfred Noble was actually the guy that uh, had been so gifted with scientific experiments that he came up with uh, explosive things. He invented the dynamite. So... When this journalist wrote about him in the newspaper, he said, the dynamite king is dead. And you would think that when you read an obituary, they would only write about the positive things. Well, not about this one. The dynamite king is dead. The one that had, you know, built his mansions and built his entire empire on these explosives and so many people were killed and whatnot. And he read it. And he was like, this is, this is scary stuff. And he really didn't want to be known as explosive king. So that very day... It wasn't, his, it wasn't his death. The obituary was, you know, written wrongly. He had made the choice and said, I don't want to be known for that at all. Changed, changed his life forever. He wanted his legacy to be different. And I'm encouraging you to think about your legacy today. I ask this, you know, teachers and students alike, whenever they go anywhere, I say, what will your legacy be? And it's like the first day of school. And they're like, huh? What will your legacy be? What will your legacy be in life? If I die today, what will be the legacy for my wife? What will be the legacy for my church? What will it be? Anyway, it changes, it changes things for him completely. He is, he is changing it in such a way that now we don't know Alfred Noble as the diamond king as much as we know him to be the one that invested so much into medicine, physics, and into literature, and even peace. And so now, even to this day, we hand out the Nobel Peace Prize. Same guy. Dynamite king to Nobel Peace. Wherever you are at today, I pray that you will want to be the spiritual person, the true worshiper of God.
The one that says, Christ, cover me with your righteousness, but live within me the hope of glory. The one that says, I don't want to be deceived like Dr. Semmelweis, working on cadavers and working on the patients and people are dying left and right. Well, he was oblivious to that. Not the lukewarm Christian, but the person that is really committed to the Lord and is filled like the pizza box is filled with the pizza. The person that lives and says, I'm not just going to focus on this part of life. The person that says, hey, I want everything I do here to be important for all of this forever and ever. And that goes right along with, you know, the theme that you have, your aim that you have, you know, impossible. Things that are impossible, things that are just unattainable. Then God can do it. Because things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Church, do you want to be the spiritual person? Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And if we experience that revival, I think the Lord is ready for us to go home. And that would be powerful. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the, the word, the strength, the power that you provide. Thank you for Brittany and for Samantha. Thank you for their parents. Thank you for the elders of this church and those that are helping with the school but in the home and also have provided nurturing community. I pray for each one in this room. Father, we don't want to be in and out. We don't want to be the natural person. We also don't want to be the carnal person. We want to be the spiritual person, the true worshiper, the one that is committed the one whose legacy is going to be that we loved you and that we served you and that we knew you like you have said in your word that this is eternal life, that we know you. And so we pray for that. Seal us with your Holy Ghost today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.